Hey everybody, welcome to the Common Good Podcast. My name is Dan Dietrich, so glad you're with us today. It is Wednesday, and on a lot of Wednesdays, we talk about faith. We talk about our faith, our friend's faith, and uh, what it looks like in the world to live a life of faith. And uh, on today's show, we are so grateful to welcome back Common Good alum, Laura Truax. Laura was one of our hosts for the Faith Wednesday show for a season, and she recently went on a 35-day silent retreat. And uh, she sat down with Doug Paget to talk about that retreat, what she found in the silence, how hard it was to stay silent for almost 35 days, and uh, the moments where she was like, wow, I've made a huge mistake in doing this. Uh, So it's a great conversation. And uh, hopefully it's a gift to all of us that even if we don't have 35 days for silence and solitude, uh, we can find some quiet moments in our busy days to uh, find something beautiful. So let's jump into this conversation with Doug Padgett and Laura Truax. Well, hello, Laura Truax. So good to see you again, uh, dear friend. And I've missed you here on the on the Wednesday conversations on the podcast. So n- nice to have you again. Aw, thank you. It's nice to be missed, Doug Paget. Thank good. you. Well, good. Well, you know, okay, so we last talked, I guess, in December. A lot has changed mm-hmm. in your life since then. Then you were pastoring a church that you'd been at for a long time. That role has, has ended for you. You were about to embark on a 30-day silent retreat, which is what I want to talk with you about today and see how that went and what you learned and what those of us who won't be quiet for 30 days can glean from that. <laughs> so so, uh, so a, lot, a lot has changed. You know, it was winter, now it's spring. Like, just a lot. A lot is up in the air. So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How yeah. are things? Well, I'll tell you, um, first of all, let's get the numbers straight. I thought I was leaving on a 30-day silent retreat, and good grief, it ended up being 35 days, okay? So I just want to get that out there because every day well, matters, yeah, all right? Yeah, what, what, what happened? <laughs> well, there were a couple of uh, beginning days uh, where you prepare yourself uh, for silence. So you have a few hours of chit-chat with your other retreatants, but then you have two to three two and a half full days of silence to prepare for the beginning of this 30-day St. Ignatius retreat. And then following that, you've got a day and a half of, uh, of supplemental work, of kind of, um, you know, consolidation work. Wow. So, uh, yeah, and the reason every day matters is because there's a point in those 35 days where I really did feel like a prisoner on the wall, like, let me just make my mark. Laura was here. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so what got you into this? Yeah. You Obviously, you chose it. Um, you yeah, you right. signed up for it. You, you, you rearranged your schedule. You paid the money. You, you prepared for it. Do you remember That's now right. what went on with you when you were thinking about doing this, uh, what you were hoping <laughs> it would be, and what, what the motivation was? Well, you know, I've wanted to do a silent retreat for decades, literally, uh, in the Ignatian tradition. So this is St. Ignatius of Loyola. So, you know, we got to go back to uh, 1530s is when this guy is living and writing. But St. Ignatius was a um, a Catholic saint. He he starts the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. So just like heads up for the listeners, right? That's his kind of nomen nom de plom. Uh, He is a... Uh, a, a battle-scarred man who is injured in oh. battle, convalesces for many years, and in the midst of that convalescence has this profound experience of God, experience mm. of faith, and decides that essentially he will now be a soldier for the Lord. 
Um, wow. So that's that's the Society of Jesus. That's their initiation right there. Um, he he in the in the middle of that kind of uh, window of spiritual uh, experiences, he devises what he believes is a God given framework for someone attending to the voice of God in their lives. And he calls this the Ignatian exercises. These are literally just exercises that a person might do who is interested, first of all, in joining him in this, uh, I'd call it a crusade, but we've got so many awful connotations yeah, of right. crusade, but it's essentially a calling, right? Whoever's interested in, in joining him in this calling for God, calling of Christ. So these are exercises which are designed to help you hear the voice of God. Um, over the many centuries since Ignatius wrote that, um, there have been all sorts of different ways that regular people, regular people, people who are not uh, in the convent life or monastic life can access his spirituality. And it's called the 19 Annotated. Uh, so you can okay. follow this retreat. I know there. I know I, I'll stop here because I know I'm already in the weeds. No, I like but, it. I like uh, it a you, lot. You can do it over nine months by doing this hour a day uh, prayer with a spiritual director once a week, or you can do it in this consolidated way of 30 straight days, uh, praying for roughly five to six hours a day. So uh, that was the beginning. Okay, did you know, so let, let me pause you there and ask, did you know these ex, the, the Ignatian exercises before? Had you been doing them and thought... I want to try them in a more compressed time, or I haven't really been able to get into them. So this is how I'm going to enter the yeah. set of practice. Uh, well, I, I think any anybody who's gone to an Ignatian school, Georgetown, Loyola, Gonzaga, I mean, there's so oh. many, right? Anyone who's gone to Ignatian school has been introduced to the Ignatian exercises. Uh, is, oh. it, it's just part of the framework. Um, they may abbreviate it for their retreat weekends, but it's, it's a thing. It's a thing okay. that any Jesuit uh, high school or even uh, or college for sure would have taught. I've done the, the longer nine-month exercises twice and, uh, and found it incredible. The first time was in seminary because I went to Loyola Seminary oh. and, uh, and had a, a priest from Peru as my spiritual director. It was my first time of learning about liberation theology. It was my first time moving into kind of this broader suffering of the world. It was marvelous. Um, so I'd known for years that I wanted to try and see if I could do it see if I could engage in 30 days of silence. Um, and with the, with the terminating my role at LaSalle and moving out of that space, it just felt like an excellent opportunity. So sure. January uh, 3rd, I landed in Gloucester, Massachusetts at the Eastern Point Retreat House. Uh, there were 25 retreatants there and 19 of them were Jesuit men in formation. So they were guys between the age of about 23 and 35-ish who were doing what would be the first of two retreats for them. They'll make this retreat as they begin their life as a Jesuit 
and then they'll make it again at the 10 year mark, uh, which will be when they are making their final vows okay. to become a Jesuit for life. So it's 10 years of formation if you're a Jesuit, which is kind of incredible, right? I mean, sure in Protestant tradition, you know, some kids preaches a good or does a good testimony at 14 and we Boom. put them on the fast track, you they're know, off and running. Yeah. <laughs> what what are the exercises? Are they words you say? Are they what 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 is yeah. the the exercise? Yeah. So there's four big movements over the course of 30 days. So think of it um, the the first big movement, which uh, and and let me backtrack for a second because it's only a few verses of scripture. There's not a lot of reading. In fact, you can't read. Your spiritual director will say, "Do not bring any books with you." Uh, you you can't like decide. Oh, this is the window where I'm finally going to read Isaiah. I've been faking it for three decades, but now uh-huh. I will read it. Right? Uh, no, really? there's none of that. There's none of that. Really? You get. Yeah, maybe you get a couple of verses of scripture a day, and that's it. Um, the you are designed. The whole thing is designed around listening and being still. And um, so, imagine that. Let's just like put a pin on that one. Think about trying to be still for five ish hours a day. <laughs> it's kind of like. Wow, it my anxiety me is through the roof right now. Just thinking like those experiences. I know for a lot of people, they relieve their anxiety. For me, I feel like, mm. I don't know, in something internal just goes you know, bonkers yeah. when I think about that. Yeah, I hear that, Doug. And, uh, and I'm kind of a flaming extrovert. And, uh, and I was nervous. I was excited, but I was really nervous. I, uh, I, I did know, well, to get into this program, the 30-day program, you've got to have done a few oh. eight to 10-day silent retreats over the past few years. So there was that. But I'll tell you, you get there, and about day three, I thought, oh, my God, this is such a mistake. This was <laughs> such a mistake. I mean, how do I get out of here? And you're remote. I didn't have a car. <laughs> I was like five miles from town. <laughs> it was uh, it was intense. It was intense. And were you uh, actually, I mean, I just imagine maybe late at night if this, uh, I can imagine because I've done things like this. You start almost plotting in your mind, like, okay, here's what I could do. I could walk down the road. I could go. Were, were you thinking literally how do I get out of here? Did that? Oh, yeah. And, and could I get out without them noticing? Like, could I get out without the public shame? You know, I mean, first of all, there were only a couple of Protestants there. So, you know, there's a part of me that feels like I got to show them that we can do this thing, too. You know, there's that wow. weird a lot of burden. Yeah, whatever that is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there were only three or four women. Uh, one was a spiritual director. But then there's only three of us after that. And then 19 guys. And they're all. I don't know, man, super focused. I mean, they're praying through the night. I would, I would go down to the uh, cafeteria to get some tea, maybe 10, 30, 11 at night. And the flame is always burning in the chapel. And there's always some guy lying, you know, flat out on the floor. And I'm thinking, Oh boy, I don't know. I don't know. You know, this seemed like a good idea, but, uh, so I had that. And then, you know, you, you talked about I'm leaving, you know, this role that I loved uh, at, near the end of last year. My my husband had gotten this really terrible health diagnosis 
So I was feeling very sad. You know, I, I arrived January 3rd with just a lot of um, grief mm-hmm. and kind of deep fatigue, you know, that, that those things bring on. You know, you just feel exhausted. And, and really, day two or three, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to spiral into a real depression here. Yeah. It's cold. It's dark. They kept the thermostat at like 64 degrees. I mean, who does that? I mean, I, I would come by these thermostats and I would look around and like put it back up a few degrees just to get it to, you know, human temperatures. But it was, uh, I really thought I'd made a big mistake. Okay. Uh, so it did feel like a prisoner on the wall. Uh, the first movement of the retreat, and this actually answers your first question, like, what do you do? What's the framework? Well, there's four big movements. And the first big movement is Ignatius is inviting you to see uh, how far you are from the glory that should be yours. How far off the mark hmm. you and this world is from how we were created to be. Okay. So you're to really consider the beauty that is the goodness and grace and awesomeness there is. And then you're to examine your life in great depth. This is what you do for many of those hours that first week. You examine all those places in you that have been captivated by lesser things, Um, grasping and um, defensiveness and hurt and how you've built walls around yourself and you know those places where the light has just not gotten in or or the weeds have grown up and um you know that's a that's a humbling thing and a hard thing right yeah i would imagine that the the experience then of feeling this i don't even know if i want to be here i don't know if i it must fit that first movement pretty well right like whatever you're feeling is this isn't right and it's it's raising all that to the surface yes, yes absolutely I, and I, I do think that's part of the genius of ignatian spirituality is that it, your mood really fits what you're thinking about in that first week Interesting. near the end of the first week um i realized a couple of things one i i realized that something in me was shifting uh, and I, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't, I, I was kind of, I, you have to get a schedule for yourself or you've got to go crazy, you know? Uh, so I had a schedule. I had like my, my blocks of prayer time kind of laid out and I tried to keep disciplined on that because it's just like running or anything else, right? You've got to put some structure in place mm-hmm. or you're just going to flop around on your bed, you know, for hours. So, um, but about three or four, maybe five days in, the reflection prompt is to consider a person uh, who you really admired and think about all the traits in them that, uh, that you admire and mm. how you gave yourself to this, to this person's leadership and kind of uh, uh, place in your life. And for Ignatius, again, as a soldier, he was thinking of worldly powers. He was thinking of a, a, some ruler or leader in the world that you would be willing to follow into battle. You'd be willing to really organize your life around this, this leader's kind of role, you know? And, uh, and so I, I thought of a leader and thought about the many hours I had given to this leader's electoral campaign or policies or whatever. And then you were to think a few days later about a leader who you really despise 
and uh, one who you thought was just awful and and how much you disliked that leader. And you were to bring that leader to mind and just sit with that. And I realized in bringing that leader to mind, the despised leader, that I actually didn't have any anger left. I had pity and I had sadness and mm. I had um, I, I had compassion on that leader. And, uh, and that was followed in the next few hours of prayer by all these other people who I had, I am actively against their policies. I am actively against their, their legislation that they put forward. And yet when I found myself, I'll just name one of them. When I found myself praying with compassion for Mitch McConnell, uh, I thought, wow, something has shifted. <laughs> this is not the same uh, disposition. Huh. This is not the same framework I had uh, even a month ago. Um, so that was the ending of the first week. Wow. And uh, I know, right? It was kind of a, a grace. It was absolutely a grace to see that I could go deeper than opposition, that I could go into a place of empathy and compassion and um, uh, not oneness. I'm not trying to say that exactly, but I could go beyond anger. Yeah. I could go deeper than that. And so that, that was the wrap up of week one, week two, you move into the life of Christ and over the course of those six days, seven days, you you see little glimpses of Christ, and uh, you're to imagine yourself in the text with him, going where he goes, doing what he does. Um, and that was a very sweet week for me of just seeing how Jesus always leads with love hmm. and how he just, like, never met a person he wasn't pulling for. Okay, so uh, let me was, ask. So, you're when you're doing these exercises, are these self-directed, or are there words that you're given to recite? Are you just coming up with on your own? Are you yeah. writing this down? Are you talking to anyone ever? Do you meet with a spiritual director and process any of this externally, or is it just all? Are you writing it? What's what are you doing yeah. with those hours? Yeah. So you're you're seeing your spiritual director. I saw mine every day for okay. 15 minutes a day. Uh, the, the, which is like not enough. I was like clawing my way to stay in the room, please. Yeah. Did you just start talking the minute you walked in? Like we have 15 minutes. I'm going to talk for 14 minutes and 55 seconds. I'm on it. Uh, pretty much. He, he didn't really say too much back to me. So that was, uh, so it was me doing most of the talking. Um, yeah. So how that works, Doug, is that you're given a few verses, uh, and you're given like a sheet of paper. My spiritual director gave me a sheet of paper that had uh, the big movement of today is to see these miracles as as Jesus did them. Okay. For instance, this is one example. So I might have uh, uh, blind Bartimaeus, you know, where Jesus spits uh, uh, into the dirt and puts the dirt on the man's eyes and he sees. Yep. So we may have four verses of that and you would come back to that text just those four verses uh, for four hours that day. Uh, so maybe I would be praying from 10 to 11 and one to two and four to five and six to seven. Each one of those prayer times, I would come back. 
I would spend the first 15 minutes just getting myself quiet because that's how long it takes to realize, oh my God, would that guy stop breathing over there? Or will this guy- Are you sitting in a room? Are you sitting in a shared room with other people around? At different times I would be. Yeah, there were all sorts of small chapels. And uh, and that's your first your your first challenge. My first challenge, Doug, uh, yes. was to not be irritated <laughs> with all these people around oh, me. Totally. <laughs> oh. This guy coughing or that guy, you know, sneezing, and oh my god, it's it's incredible how you can be irritated about things that you know you didn't even notice yes. for most of your life. <laughs> Um, we also got to where you could identify people by how they walked into a room. Like you could be, you could be still with your eyes closed in prayer and somebody would shuffle into a room and I would think, Oh, it's that guy with the felt slippers. <laughs> I know what he's going to do right now. He's going to take a real long drink of water and then he's going to noisily put the lid back on and he's going to put it on the stone floor and then he's going to like <laughs> squirrel around. This is awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So Ignatian, Ignatius had a few ideas around it. Like uh, each time of prayer, he suggests, and I love this, and I've tried to still incorporate this. He suggests that when you get to your place of prayer, your identified place, that you stand in the doorway of that room and you look upon yourself sitting there before the Lord. And you think about, is the room warm? Is it cool? What will that floor feel like for me? Will I be standing for an hour? Will I be seated? Will I be laying on the floor? Will I be kneeling? Um, what direction will I face? Will I face an open window? Will I face a wall? Will my eyes be open or closed? Wow. So yeah. you spend about five minutes preparing to even get into a place uh, of prayer. And then you say the Lord's Prayer at the doorway. You get to that spot. You settle yourself. You spend however long that takes just listening to your breath, trying to get rid of some of the static that you walked into the room with. Then you read your scripture text. Well, okay, that takes 38 seconds. Uh, and then you reread it, reflect, put yourself in that spot, and then you're off to the races. That's where you remain. So for me, I, I set a timer for an hour. At the end of the hour, I uh, my little gong would ring in my ear. I would have my headphones in often. My little gong would ring. And then you're to reflect on that prayer experience. Like, how was that? How quiet were you? Were there, were there pieces of that that you felt like were of the Lord? Uh, what, what was your feeling? What was your mm. affect through that prayer? Did you, did you leave that time feeling consoled mm. or did you leave it feeling unfinished and staticky and nervous? Um, and why, why was that? What, what was emerging in you that, you're thinking, damn it, why doesn't somebody listen to this blind guy by the side of the road? Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes you would you would leave a whole hour and you'd be pissed off, huh. pissed off at these people, pissed off because you know that, man, that's what I would be. I would say be saying, shut up. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and are you writing these things time- down? Are you keeping track of them? Did you stop keeping oh, yeah. track of it? Did you? Like what, what? Oh no, man! You're the prisoner in the cell, Doug. You're, you're writing for all it's worth. Yeah. 
<laughs> I got like a book form of, of diary entries. And were, were you hand? I, I don't. I don't want to be too you know into the specifics, but I kind of want to paint a picture. Are you typing it in your phone? Are you writing it in a journal? Are you like thinking? I really wish yeah. I'd brought that better pen that I really like. Uh, like what? What do right. you? How? How are you? managing these yeah. hours after hours after hours? Yeah, such a good question. Um, well, I thought of every possibility uh, because, you, you know, this is a no phone, no internet, no media of all kinds, no no music, no just nothing uh, that you come in with. So I asked if I could bring my iPad with my little keyboard because that's just a way easier way of me capturing yeah. uh, things. And it also allowed me to take some photos uh, of the place because often I would be in a room or, or, or anyway, it just allowed me to kind of remember where I yeah. was and what was it all about. So I did take it on an iPad, you know, with a, uh, with a keyboard. Okay. Uh, other people were writing longhand. Most people were writing longhands. Uh, the, the, uh, Jesuits could not bring any electronic device, even an iPad. They they don't own phones. They give up their phones. So uh, I was a rarity uh, with this iPad, uh, but I'm glad I had it. It uh, and they it just trusted you that there was no music on there and that you weren't sitting in the corner or <laughs> night falling asleep to, to music. Yeah, I guess there is a little bit of trust involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I um. There were a few big things that happened over the course of this retreat and and one that I just have to make sure I name because I feel like if there is any evangelism in me, if there's any one thing that, nice. man, I want to spend the rest of my breath talking about, it's, uh, it's what happened when I got to the third week. Okay. Because the third week is an entire week on the crucifixion of Christ. And uh, you follow like the Last Supper, the upper room. You're in the upper room for a solid eight hours. I mean, it's two full days just in the upper room. It's it's three full days just at the foot of the cross. It's it. it they just really stretch out that time. And um, you know, I've never really understood the cross. I mean, I, I know I'm not alone. That sounds almost kind of stupid to say. Who who understands the cross? But there's a lot of people out there who think they do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and after I had gotten past the uh, the feeling that it's a it's a penal substitution, it's an angry God, you know, beating up the sun on behalf of our sin. You know, I moved past that maybe 15 years ago, and what that has been replaced with theologically were things like. Oh, solidarity with Jesus. This is just where a good life leads. You know, he's, he's gonna, uh, he's gonna, if you want to stand up for truth, yeah. this is what happens, you know, and this is what happens to Martin Luther King and all these other great Oscar Romero and, uh, you know, Jose Luciano, all these people, you know, they just stand this long line of martyrs, right? Okay. That's, that's powerful. That's always been powerful. But I've never really, I felt like I was always outside looking in at the crucifixion. And this year, uh, I just, I I don't know, something opened up in me. And there was this recognition, there had already been this recognition going into that third week that God is just love. That's all God has. That's all God is. That everything Jesus ever did was just 
in service to, for the sake of, uh, of love. That's, that's literally it. And, and love in the sense that I am pulling for you. I am pulling for you. I'm trying to remove every distraction between you and, and love itself because love itself is going to so permeate your life. It's going to so saturate you that you're going to see differently. You're going to hear differently. You're going to look differently. You're going to act differently in the world. So I was at that place by the time I got to the third week. Right. And, uh, so I, I spent the first few hours just thinking about how does this cross square with love? And I couldn't think of any, any situation where love didn't suffer. I couldn't think of any love I'd ever had. I couldn't think of any example of love that built into the very heart of it was not suffering. Love that I have for my children, Love that as a child I had for my mom, love for a career, love for others, love for a partner. I mean, I just couldn't see any any relationship or encounter where built into the fabric of love itself is not this seed of deep suffering, <laughs> of 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 being wronged of doing awful things and needing a way of coming back from that awfulness. And uh, I just saw Jesus on the cross as, you know, the world so far from God, where it's like when you're in a terrible argument and you know you're right and you're not going to give in, but somebody's got to, somebody's got to, somebody's got to say, we're going to stop this argument we're going to come back together or, mm. you know, I'm going to embrace you even when you're giving me the finger, because I know somewhere in you child who is like lost to the wind. I know somewhere in you love is going to find you, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so it was this powerful thing that love didn't, this cross didn't happen outside of the wholeness of God. It's not just it happens over here in the corner. It happens in the very heart of God. It is the being of God. It is the whole of the Trinity suffering on the cross. It is the the framework, the constitutive framework of the whole world is that if you love, you will suffer. And that suffering is where love is and love is where suffering is mm. and I don't. I don't have words for it. Sorry, that's well, the best. Well, thank you. No, that's so wonderful. <laughs> uh, do you, when you think back to it in those, I guess those middle days of this experience, did those realizations come to you like in waves? Did they come to you in a moment? Was it something that you remember reading, or the, your spiritual director said, or did, like how did it? It was all of it, Doug. It was all of it. There was. It, it was. It was all tied together. It wasn't like illumination came simply in silence. It was illumination. It was my own memories that would be churned up at that time. It was a word from a spiritual director. It was the allness of life. And here's also what I learned. We don't have to go away for 30 days in silence to get that. That that is what you're encountering every day. Every day on the road, there's a lot of static in front of it, right? Um, because there's there's just a lot of shitty static in yeah, life. I yeah. mean, you know, there's sensory overload at any moment. 
but also in any moment, there is this deep illumination that is coming from within. It's that, I, I believe it's what Paul understood is that spirit bearing witness within. It's that random person that Jesus said is actually going to be me, you know, that you're going to encounter. And I mean, he said it in the prisoner and the, you know, the, the hungry and the thirsty, but in acts, they actually saw it as a stranger on the road. It, it's not just in the, the service piece. It's the random, like, wow, that was a weird thing to say piece, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that actually is a divine messenger. It's, I know I'm sounding kind of weird right now, but crap, that, that is it. That, that's exactly what this life is. I just had to get out of it for a minute to, to see that it's the totality of that. It's those random verses you might have read this morning or that, you know, arrow prayer that you shot up in the shower, right? Um, at the same time that it's Shelly saying something over breakfast and that person you met when you walked out the door. And all those things are the divine illumination, kind of revealing this path of love in front of us. Mm. God, mm. it's awesome, Doug. It's awesome. <laughs> how, how, uh, okay, so I really appreciate you know, the reminder <laughs> that, no, you don't have to go to a freezing cold, hard-floored chapel and sit with <laughs> right. you know, uh, 19, 23 to 35-year-old, uh, soon-to-be Jesuit <laughs> priests to get there. Uh, but you did, uh, do that. Uh, that is one of the ways you, uh, were reminded or rekindled or reengaged with this, with this idea and these realities. Um, how has it been since February when you, uh, you know, left that construct and have been in the rest of this? Is it increasing in its intensity? Is it uh, changing? Is it, is it, is it dissipating? How does it? There's a couple of things that are still very pronounced for me. Um, one is, and part of life always, you know, we, we try to always say that it's just about receiving, receiving, receiving. Yes, it uh-huh. absolutely is. I mean, uh, uh, muscle power Christianity, that day has come and gone. That's over, right? I don't want any more muscle power Christianity. But at the same time, there are things that I think uh, you and I can do to receive, to be receptive, right? It's like, it's like you put on your glasses in the morning and you kind of, you wipe them off, right? So there are some things that I still, uh, uh, I'm trying to be very protective about. And one is this regular window of silence. You know, I'd been doing 20 minutes of silence before I left as, as my own practice, um, my own spiritual practice. And, so I'm, I'm very guarded on that still. You know, that's an important window. It's the first thing I do. I wake up early just to do that. I gather with a group online. Uh, if any listeners are interested in this, uh, very easy to do. Meditation Chapel has a ton of different groups out there. Just jump on to any of them that fits your time frame and just get into a quiet space for 20 minutes. And hmm. it's no more than just uh, the Quaker ideas, palms up. Palms up to receive, right? You you wrote an entire book, I think, Doug, right, yeah. on the postures of prayer. Yeah. And uh, and I, I have that book, and I've used it a lot of times. So thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. But it's just – I just practice palms up. Um, this awareness that 
it is all about love, hmm. that it's all undergirded in love, that there's nowhere we we go away from love. That is still marked for me. I was at the Cubs game last night. They lost to Pittsburgh. Uh, beautiful night. And I found myself just kind of tearing up at all these. It's so bizarre. And all these other people in the stand. And I just wanted to say, oh, if only you saw how beautiful you are, how glorious you are. I prayed that they would see one another as glorious beings. You know, uh, there's that book on earth, We're Briefly Glorious. Mm. And uh, and man, that's what I, I just pray that those, that my lenses would stay clear on that because... God, I really feel like I am in love with the world right now. I still mm. am. It sounds stupid, but I am. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm in love with the world. And I, I want to recover that message on a daily basis. It doesn't sound weird and like, oh my God, get away from me. Um, I want to, I want to communicate it in ways that are true and, uh, and authentic and unweird. Uh, yeah. So I'm still working on that one. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a sense about what it is th- in the silence that brings someone to to that? Because the tendency can be that people are missing information, or they need they're they're lacking something that needs to come to them, an experience or an interpretation or a teaching or something. But people who talk like you do tend to say no when you. Uh, when you remove those external stimuli, then you have this experience. So it's coming from, you know, something. Do, do you have a, yeah. do you have a sense of it? I know a lot of people are doing neuro testing and neuro understanding of the, uh-huh. of meditation and mind and all that. How, how are you, do you have a theory on it? Why, why silence, whether it's in the morning or for hundreds of hours on a retreat? You know, I'll probably have to go kind of, theological on this. I think we're echoes of God's being. I think we're, we're echoes of the divine breath, that that's how we were created from the beginning. We're stuff of earth that were only animated by the breath of the spirit. And, uh, Hmm. and I think there's an echo of that. That's a very Hmm. Celtic understanding that we're, that we're breathed out echoes of what the word, the word, (laughs) the word was in the beginning, the word, Hmm spoke out Mm. and we are that we are those words we're the echoes of those words so i i think doug it's more of a recalling i think there's something deep in our psyche that Mm. that remembers and that in the silence we're we're told we're not enough we're told we've got to be more we're told that we're totally depraved (laughs) We're, we're told that we're so off the mark and so inadequate and so broken And I'm not denying that it is a broken world out there. I mean, again, the whole week is on the yeah, magnitude right. of sin and how far away we are. And right? the suffering that that brings, yeah. Right. But in the center of that, there is these sentient beings called human beings that are still the breath of God. Hmm. And y- you just get away from some of the static just a little bit and you start to recall it. And then the more you recall it, the more you breathe into that, the more alive it becomes. It's like a, it's like a hot air balloon, right? And, and it's got to fill all the way up with helium before it kind of can, can lift off. That's who we are. Hmm. 
we're like these helium balloons and uh, we're going to be lifted off. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, it's really a wonderful imagery. I, 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 it's reminding me a bit of this, of a TED talk that I saw and then a, a, a book that uh, the person who did the TED talk wrote. Her name is uh, Jill Taylor Bolte, or J- sorry, Jill Bolte Taylor. And she's a, a MIT neurologist who had a stroke herself in her shower. And she wrote a book and a TED talk called My Stroke of Insight. Have you, are you familiar with this? No, so I she read dis- it. Yeah, and the TED talk is worth watching. She, because she's a neurosurgeon, she describes what's going on in the brain. And she was in her shower and had a stroke. And apparently when you have strokes like she had, you phase in and out of uh, the the hemispheres of your brain being dominant. So sometimes she's like, okay, I'm having a stroke right now. I need to get out of the shower and I need to call these, you know, make this phone call. And, and then other times the left hemisphere of her brain would take over and she would start to have this experience like you're describing, seeing all things connected. And, and, and so she goes through these hours of this cause she can't make the phone call happen. And, and she, anyway, so oh. she narrates this and, and talks about it. And then says similar things to you that, hey, there are actually practices that you can do to aliven these parts of your body, your brain, to be more alivened and take the lead for a bit. And um, so I think she suggests many of the same things that somehow the analytical side of your brain, when input is coming in, then takes over, right? And you start taking in data and you do the thing you do, which is, which we should do. But then there's this other side, which sees all things. So she talks about, I think, is like the, the dissecting side, the break apart, and then the side of your brain that wants to bring all things together. And often the more artistic side, but it's, um, and I'm not trying to overly explain, you know, I'm not trying to give a physiological reason for what you're describing, but I think some of us excuse away that, oh, that's just some kind of people. Like some people can see the world that way. Some of you are just really gracious and you see the world through love, but I see the world, you know, like there's a lot of this comparative thing that I'm just not like Mm -hmm. one of those people who can do that. Like I've been sitting here thinking I am. Absolutely not one of those people that could go for 30 days and do, do this. Like, I'm not, I'm not wired like that, right? That's the excuse that one makes. Like, oh, yeah, I'm not wired for that. Uh, and, and maybe there's just something about the, the typical human brain that actually is quite, quite wired for this. Because prayer yeah. even, like, I was sitting, I found myself doing this when you were saying I'd go to this prayer. I, and I probably even asked, because I feel like I asked this a few times, like, well, what did you say or what did you do? Like yeah. when you're praying, it feels like a verb. <laughs> and then you would come back with like, oh, I don't know, you would like take this thing and then you'd be there. Um, I, I tend to call that like, I don't know, like meditation or, or con- contemplative thought. And so I, I don't even know if I'm just playing word games here, but I think for some people when they hear prayer, they hear forming sentences. Mm, mm, That's not really what you were talking about though, was it? Like, no, uh, no. In fact, I had few sentences. I had impressions and images. Wow. Um, you know, the, the, the Buddhist idea, um, Zazen is about stilling your mind into utter emptiness because in emptiness, they believe is where, kind of this uh this deeper stillness of of life dwells you know so you might think about your breath 
uh, first, and I'm not going to say this as well as they would say it, of course, but you might just start by just being aware of your breath and aware of your body and then gradually just letting all these thoughts kind of die away and, and drift away. That would happen. But then soon I would have a, I would have images and that's okay. Uh, I, I will say this prayer for sure was not about talking back to God mm-hmm. it, or listing anything. You know, <laughs> I, I became a Christian at a tent revival. And so prayer for, uh, you know, several, the first decade was ACTS, right? Um, adoration, confession, Thanksgiving. Uh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, hello. Uh, remember that? Yeah, remember you? The three? acts of prayer. Um, yeah, ACTS. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, it hadn't been that way for a lot of time, right? Yeah. It's uh, it's it's just about being present. It's almost like a companionable silence. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's like just sitting there, just sitting there, just sitting there with love itself. I mean, um, I, I do think, Doug, it, it's not about how we're personally wired. I yeah. think there's a human being. Uh, mm-hmm. wiring. There's a human being physicality mm-hmm. and, uh, and you may never do 35 days. Okay. Let's just put it out there. 35 <laughs> days. Um, you may never do that. And, and frankly, I, I don't think I'd ever do it again. It oh. was, uh, I, because I, I left feeling like satisfied and, uh, and good, solid. I, I, I mean, if, if I really felt the strong urge, okay, that's different, but I don't think I will. I think, mm. I think I'm now called to uh, I'm called to be one of those people who saw something and I'm mm. just going to come back and I'm going to talk about it. And uh, in the yeah. hope that maybe somebody else might go and see it, too, you know, and they may not do it for 35 days. But I don't know, maybe a listener is going to tomorrow morning or tonight uh, they're instead of just getting in bed, they're going to sit on the floor or sit in a chair and put their palms up and. uh and be silent, you know? So how, how important was the accompaniment for you in that? Could you even mention that, hey, if you want to do something like this in the morning, go online and sit in silence with a bunch of other people looking at your, you know, some screen so you find solidarity. Because it was a singular experience you're having, which is nonverbal. How important was the being near the man with the felt slippers and the noisy uh, lid <laughs> on his metal water bottle and the... Hard swallowing. <laughs> How important is what was he as a as a character on this, you know, a companion rather yeah. on this road? Yeah. Well, I do think we're we're created for community, right? We do know this. We're communal beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that the piece of being with others is really important. Uh, and I think our churches, you know, organized like Christian communities, seem to be at a, at a crisis point right now. But I think we're always going to need just the companionship of others uh, mm. in, in our life together. So a Buddhist guy on my meditation call a couple of days ago uh, texted me at the end of our time of silence. And he said, you know, I, I feel like I bring my, my practice from Sri Lanka into this group and it's just magnified my little 20 minutes of, of being quiet and still is being magnified mm. by these other 45 people and their uh, mm. stillness. And together 
we become a still point in the universe. Wow. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful, Saju. Thank you. When that's did he it. say this to you, though? There were times where you could say things to each other in your 35 it, it, plus days? Uh, no, in our, in our chat. We, we are together every morning for 40 oh, oh, minutes. Oh, I so see. I'm sorry. This is, this is the man just in this... Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. So this I, I was thought at the close of that time. I've never remember. So, that. you know, I did my doctoral work on practices of uh, progressive evangelicals. I was looking at at church leaders who had been fired from their jobs, who had uh, been uh, ousted from their denominations because of their uh, inclusive stance on sexuality. And I followed these people for a couple of years, and I asked them questions: What keeps you mm. girded and uh, you know in the faith? I mean, why not just say, you know, give him the finger and leave everything, you know? And one guy, this is about four years ago now, one guy said, you know what? I've started a practice of silence, and I realized that I'm better being silent when I'm silent with other people. Mark Tidd from Colorado said that. And, man, that's that's what led me on this quest. I started thinking, God, I think I'd be better in being silent if I was silent with other people. So found this little teeny community of meditation chapel online, Roger Sessions, the guy who kind of started it up. He's a guy who lives in Mexico who just, he was doing his own silent practice and wanted some people to do it with. So he starts this little teeny website with like, you know, $500. And now there's 8,000 uh, people practicing silence all around the world. We don't know each other. I'll probably never see most of these people in the flesh. Uh, we have 140 different group leaders and I'm one of them. And, uh, we just log in. I have a little reading. We do 20 minutes of silence at the sound of a gong, a little reading after that. And, uh, we talk about the reading. We sign off. That's it. It's beautiful. It's church every morning at 6:20 uh, central time. It's church. We got a couple other leaders, uh, in that group now, and huh. do people keep their cameras turned on? Are they have cameras off? How how do people do this? Uh, uh, yeah, about half of them will keep their cameras on throughout the silence, so you see them still in front of you. Um, maybe a quarter will keep the camera off. You know, they're mm. maybe in their car or wherever, but um, it's profound. It's huh. it, I, I don't miss it. I mean, I, I wake up at a little bit before six every morning to get it, get it up. And, you know, uh, hmm. people join from Sri Lanka to Ireland to the Philippines all around the world. And you realize that this right now, today, that is the iteration, I believe, of what monastic life used to be, where you would pray through the hours and the idea of the hourly office, the daily office. Yeah. It came from the, the, the sense that monastics had that they wanted to bathe the world in prayer. Hmm. So all over the world, someone would be rising and praying. And as they were going to sleep, somebody else would be rising and lifting up their voice as the sun rose in their, in their section of the world. And again, these Beautiful. are prayers less like lists and requests or demands, and they're up. A human presence of being that might involve w- verbal yeah. verbalization or right. mental right. constructions of thoughts, but not not only that. It's almost witness bearing. You oh, know, maybe that's a maybe yeah. that's a word people can resonate with. It's yeah. like bearing witness to this ineffable, transcendent, mm. and yet 
utterly physicality of love that's right here. And as you bear witness to that, it really is like rising to meet the rising sun. The sun is rising and so are you. And your life is being like saturated with this, with this love, with this Mm. warmth. And this one that you, that you host on the, the meditation website, that's, uh, Every weekday, seven days a week? How how often do you? Seven days a week. Yeah, seven days a week. We've got uh, four of us leaders now, so we trade off the days. But uh, yeah, Central Time, 620 uh, a.m. But you know what? Uh, I'm going to try. I'll put that in the chat. Yeah, Yeah. well, yeah, say say it out loud so people can can look at it. Okay, meditationchapel.org. Very simple. And uh, there's a couple of steps you need to sign in, uh, and that's a small thing. It's just yeah. giving your email. Uh, it's a little bit of a you know, security check. There's a huge calendar. Wherever you are in the world, wherever your listeners are listening to this podcast, uh, they can go online. The, the calendar will uh, reflect their time zone. And uh, there's all sorts of languages, and there's all sorts of faith traditions. There's Buddhist groups, there's Zen groups, there's uh, uh, Celtic spirituality groups. There's, uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, what is this one and, categorized under? What what what's the setting of <laughs> your little six twenty a.m. Central Time group? Yeah, ecumenical Christian is who we are, but that, we have a fair number of Buddhists, so I'd say just <laughs> <Yeah>. ecumenical. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Laura, this is th- thank you so much for sharing this, for bearing witness to it, for you know saying you're going to shout it from the rooftops as long as you as long as you can. Uh, it's really, really great. Um, I thought Amen. about you a lot while while you were in the middle of of that. I mean, there would just be days where I would think oh, Laura is still not, you know, she's still in this silent space. So it's. Um, yeah, and that was just yeah. you know that, that was that was ten seconds you know five different times over the course of the month not not anywhere close to what you were actually experiencing being being in those waters that entire time. Yeah, thanks, Doug. I, I receive all that. It all adds up. All those ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, and if anybody's interested, man, there are good resources out there. Just open the door, and it, you'll you can be flooded with it. Wow. Thank you, my friend. Yep. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Hey, what a great conversation. Thanks again to Laura Truax for coming back to the show to visit with us. The website she mentioned is meditationchapel.org. You can get in on one of those meditation groups. Sounds like a great resource. I really love that metaphor of the helium balloons. A lot of times, I don't know about you, but I feel like I don't have enough helium. Uh, Things are pretty heavy, and it's hard to get out of the muck, out of the waves, whatever metaphor you want to use. So I could use a little more helium and a little more light and goodness. And so I'm looking forward to practicing some of these, uh, these ways of being silent and discovering some beauty amidst all of this. So I hope this conversation was helpful to you, inspiring, and I hope you stay connected with us. Head on over to votecommongood.com. You can see what we're up to. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and all the places. Info at votecommongood.com. That comes right to us. We'd love to hear what you're up to, what spiritual practices have been helpful for you, and uh, maybe we can share them with the rest of our podcast listeners. So thanks for being with us. I'm Dan Dietrich, and we'll see you next time on the Common Good Podcast.